Andrew on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, three fabulous women. We repackage interviews with musician Thea Riley, filmmaker Caroline Late, and sports inclusion expert Kirsty Miller joins us. 3CR. And we do have Thea Riley on the line. Thea, welcome to In Your Face. Hey, James. So great to hear your voice. How are you? Yeah, I've been really good, just sort of diving back into work. And what a dive it's been, a new single and a new album. I absolutely love the new album, Sleepy Wolf. Let's start with it. It's instrumental. Was that um was that a hard decision to, to take, not to do any vocals? Um, I think I just, I'm sure like many artists, wanted to connect with my roots again. And at the heart of it, I am a producer, so... I didn't want to leave 2020 having not really made anything. So, you know, it was like December and I just sort of jumped in, but I didn't want it to be as stressful as the usual was. So I just used my iPad and like got comfy. Yeah, I guess it was more of like a self-soothing thing. Like it's a lovely album. Yeah, it's such a lovely album, and I can really hear your trance roots in it. Was that a conscious decision, or did you find that you just can't avoid doing that? No, that was not intentional. (laughs) But, I mean, that's always good to hear. I feel like when you work in a lot of different genres, they're going to end up kind of, you learn a lot from each of them, and it bleeds through, but, but that's always a good thing. So tell us about the emotional space that you were in when you produced this album. I mean, it just doesn't come from thin air. There must have been stuff underneath it all just driving. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Uh, yeah, I was having really terrible insomnia and I kept putting on these like bedtime mixes or like uh, brainwave theatre something. And I thought, why don't I do this for myself? So, like, actually go and sit down at the end of the day, regardless of how the day had been, and, like, be the vessel for the music to flow through instead of, you know, I have to get this done, I have to do this now, (laughs) and it has to sound, you know, of the professional quality that everything else I have uh, meets. So it was really mostly about taking the pressure off and, um, you know, solitude definitely was, um, you know, just no pressures. That's the main rule that I tried to follow. Is it hard to take that pressure off? I mean, you must find that there's so many pressures from fans and people for you to produce a certain kind of sound. How hard is it to kind of, you know, depressurize and disconnect from those pressures? I guess pretty difficult, especially when it comes to trance, because trance fans, they really um, only want one thing and they want the best version of it that you can give. Um, So I don't know, it did feel very empowering, I guess, to, you know, I'm going to do something for me. And... Yeah, I I didn't even necessarily intend for it to be released as a public thing, but I think that it just comforted me so much that I realized I was missing something in the way I work in music in the last few years. 
do you think that, you know, you'll put vocals down to some of those tracks? Uh, it must be so tempting Ooh, to do possible. that. I definitely had, you know, some <laughs> little inspiration tangents come up in my head. But um, I don't know, as a trans person, I have a lot of mental struggles with my voice. And so I think it was definitely a gift to not, um, to not force anything. And then, you know, those ideas came so naturally for vocals and I didn't sing any, but like they were there, you know, when the pressure was off. So I definitely think some of them will end up on like a future vocal album or something. I don't know. It has such a piece about it. I feel like I've just been trying to bring that to my other projects now. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because you kind of caught your yeah. fans by surprise with, with Sleepy Wolf. I did. <laughs> and then just a few weeks later, there was a follow-up single, Complete Me, that's not on the album, that's yeah. very dancey, and it's just a completely different genre to just what people mm-hmm. were getting used to on Sleepy Wolf. You've been keeping your fans pretty busy. And then there's another single out today. Oh, really? <laughs> called Really, and it's like a drum and bass orchestral um, lament, I guess you would call it. Yeah. And I, re- I really love all the tracks. I love... If I don't love it, I don't make it, obviously. So, you know, and I think stepping out of the box has, like, I have so much more joy with music now. So, like, you know, why not? It's interesting. So so when did the more joy kick in? Did you find that you were depressed about your music for a while? Like, like tell well, us a bit yeah. more about this journey. Well, uh, I, I do feel that mainly it was about my voice and just dysphoria, and I would just tell myself, if I didn't sound enough like a woman, then I wasn't going to sing. But I've been pushing and pushing and pushing through that. I think last time we spoke, I was like six months into that journey, so it's been like a long time. (laughs) Um, And I have come a long way and discovered a lot of new things and new abilities with my voice that I wasn't expecting. Um, And obviously with that comes more joy as you have more like um, versatility and ease. Um, So it it has been a very slow process, but I think um, once I realized I had that pressure on myself, only because of doing the Sleepy Album did I realize that. (laughs) And... um, I don't know. I've recorded some of my best yet unheard vocals after making that album. But, you know, I pushed through a lot. So that was a holiday. It was an album <laughs> just by accident. But I don't know. It was, um, I guess it alerted me to my own mental health, hindering my progress, especially with singing. And I wasn't getting any, getting any joy out of it. Um and I think maybe 2020 did that for a lot of people in various ways. But, um, you know, I, I guess 2022 was like a step back and like, okay, what do I want out of life? Am I happy? You know, you, it gives you space to ask those questions. So that's pretty much all that last year was, was those questions. <laughs> I'm fascinated to hear some of the things you've learned about your amazing voice. Yeah, and I can't wait for... Um, a full-length vocal album, too. 
which I'm currently working on, <laughs> as the singles slowly come out. It's interesting, you know, like it's, it, it sounds like there's a lot of pressure that's been put on you to sound a certain way, even though your voice is incredibly yeah. feminine. Yeah, well, um, I think I internalised a lot of transphobia in my first couple of years of transition. And, um, of course, it takes you a while to be self-aware of that because um, you kind of get to a good place and then you're like, oh, you know, no one's putting that on me anymore. I'm putting that on myself, um, you know, and I should love myself more. Um, but, you know, who was encouraging me to do that? And, you know, very few people. So I had to do it. I had to do it for myself and, you know, thank God 2020 wasn't any worse. <laughs> so it sounds like you've overcome an incredible period of loneliness and in that loneliness to get yourself through it, you pulled out all these creative, all these creative ventures yes, and really yes, dug yes. deep. It's beautiful. Yes. And Sophie passed um, and she was an amazing electronic producer. And I don't know, that really put a fire under my ass. Same when Chi Devane passed, I was like, you know, I'm a trans woman and I'm holding myself back from dancing and singing and all these things. And it's so stupid because you only live once. You will only get one chance for all of these things. So just like pull the stops out, like pull all the stops out. <laughs> uh, that's that lifting that... Um, internalized transphobia though I think you know because uh, a certain group of people doesn't think that trans women should dance or be in athletics and it's just so many hindrances placed onto us that we individually have to grow through and like shake it off and it's, it's really difficult actually I'm just kind of trying not to get emotional uh it's incredible, though, because, I mean, you've had a really, really amazing experience as as a musician. You were yes. successful before you transitioned, and then you've transitioned and you've been successful. But I imagine you see a lot of the double standards uh, in the industry. You know, they're oh, throwing definitely. at trans women compared to, you know, cis men. Yes, yes. And I, I distinctly saw the job opportunities decline, you know, uh, as I was more publicly transitioning and so it, it was hard to see it was definitely hard to see but I accepted it and like I as close to the ground up that's pretty much where I've started uh, since transitioning and then getting back to some level of like um, I guess you would say calling it a real job because you know you know making a paycheck and that kind of thing regardless of how little is you know i guess a sign to me that um some recognition or respect of like my work and i know it's not about a paycheck because people are so wonderful and kind and that's like 99% of what fuels me as an artist, but, like, I think I, um, you know, I, ca I can't keep going forever without a paycheck, so I, I really have, you know, tried to work overtime even 
just to get back to that point where I started at um, and what I achieved before transition, <laughs> God, I feel like it never stops. But, um, yeah, I definitely feel I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So what new stuff can we expect from you? There's a new single out today. I can't keep up with you, to be honest. It's just incredible. Know, when you're on a roll, you're That's on a roll. That's what I like to do. <laughs> um, well, um, I, I started music at, well, music production at 19 with Synth. And I think I really... I really tailored that side of myself down because people only wanted an acoustic product 10 years ago, but it's like everything is so different now and things are loved and accepted that were shunned for. Um, so I just really want to embrace, you know, everything that I've enjoyed along the way. Um, and, you know, I think going back to my roots in that way is part of finding that joy again. In music making, and you know, I finished a mix today for a single that's going to come out in probably a month. Um, and I was just so happy from making it because I was like playing with automation on drum parts and bass parts, and really like getting the bass to scream. Oh my god, it's just so much fun! And why would you ever hold yourself back just because you know people aren't ready for like what you have to give? Like, yeah. So that's what you can hear from me, <laughs> just myself giving 110% of um, everything I am. Oh, do tell about this new single, please. We want, we want more details. It sounds, um, it sounds really exciting. Okay, yeah. Um, I wrote the words on a flight home from California, which is where I lived for a year uh, in 2015. And um, I don't know, it's been a long time in the wings and the lyrics have sort of taken on a few different meanings as I go through my life. Um, And I had this acoustic production to it that I just wasn't vibing with. So I held back on the song. But, um, you know, sitting down with synths and it really, those inspirational tangents that your brain goes on, they just disappeared for a long time and um you know taking a song that means so much to me because you know it's a song about uh, taking care of yourself and i had to leave my husband in america to transition so it's called it'll be over soon just because i was on the flight home you know it's like you're almost there you're almost there you know just hold on you can make it through the the struggle and the anxiety and like everything in that situation that is like holding you down. Like, yeah, I really want to be uplifting with my music. I think too, when it comes to the future. So this putting this synth, uh, up-tempo spin on it was what made it bring me that joy. You know, it's not a song of sadness. It's a song about overcoming, but I couldn't find the happiness in the song. And so I just like tried to go back to my roots. Yeah. It sounds like an incredibly (laughs) important song to you. It sounds like you've been digging deep to produce it and it was there for a long time, but it just sounds like you've you've managed to... to... Five years. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) 
such a long time. Possibly the longest, I think, it's taken for a song to be released. And what's the song called? It'll be over soon. I really... Written I, on the flight home from America. I can really I can really see a video coming for that clip, for that song. Uh, I really hope so. Oh, my God. 2020 really threw me off when it came to music videos. I don't know what to do for music videos now. But um, I guess we'll wait and see what happens with things. Hmm... Absolutely. Now, you've picked a track for us. It's called Five Alive from Sleepy Wolf. Tell us about Five Mm -hmm. Alive. So, Five Alive, um, jazz is another thing where I kind of had a phase of it. And then I was like, oh, but that's not mainstream. And I worked with a producer that was like, that's not mainstream. Take out that seventh chord. And I'm just like, (laughs) he was so bossy. I would never work with him again. (laughs) But um, I love jazz harmonies. And so Five Alive was just like allowing myself to feel the chords out. And the five beat is just like, you know, it's like when you're not keeping time of, uh, where, uh, you know, how fast you're walking and it's not in a four or a six or a three or a, any number. So I just thought five takes people's mind off the timing signature of the song uh, and contributing to... Um, sleep, hopefully, because the album themed around sleep. So I just wanted it to feel really like, I guess, like those brainwave videos I was talking about that inspired the album. Yeah, I just, I just really wanted it to feel good. That's the thing about the whole album. Um, but I especially love this track because it's just so juicy with the chords. <laughs> It's a beautiful track there, Riley. It's been an absolute privilege chatting with you today on 3CR. Thank you so much. No worries. I had so much fun. Thank you. The wonderful Thea Riley there. And here's her track, Five Alive, from her beautiful new album, Sleepy Wolf.
2018, the LGBTIQ inclusive Rainbow Beach stairs at Rainbow Beach in Queensland were painted with graffiti, sparking divisions within the local community. Caroline Late is a journalist and filmmaker whose documentary explores the controversial events that unfolded. So the stairs, they were painted uh, by Team Rainbow, who's a fully inclusive sporting organisation, and uh, that was done in conjunction with the 2018 Gold Coast Commonwealth Games Pride House. So it was fantastic that they got the uh, funding from the Palaszczuk government to do all that. And uh, yeah, so they painted those stairs. Unfortunately, someone's come in and um, graffitied them and then the message got lost um, as as um, the town became aware of the stairs and they became a bit of a uh, showpiece for people to go visit. So yeah, that and that's where it sort of um, got to. So the local media was sort of covering it more the graffiti angle, which the, the graffiti tag was How Good Is Living, and they sort of erased the Team Rainbow message. So I, my documentary was sort of covering that, and a little bit of an injustice that, that I thought um, that Team Rainbow was totally erased. So was there homophobia behind the defacing? Well, the, the, the actual person who did the graffiti um, was actually was a um, lesbian lady, so... She said the message for her was more about she had a partner who um, who had cancer and died from cancer, so it was more about supporting that. But, um, yeah, and then there was some conflicting between the local businesses that were aligned with Team Rainbow and the businesses that were aligned with Rainbow Beach Tourism and Commerce. So it, it sort of, um, there became sort of a, a divisive line between that. To what extent did this issue kind of take on a life of its own? Well, I think, um, you know... There was, there was a fair bit of hostility from um, uh, from from the uh, Rainbow Beach uh, Commerce and Tourism. They sort of didn't want to include um, <coughs> Team Rainbow or give affirmation that they actually had permission to paint the stairs. So the councillor said, yes, go and paint them. That's a great idea. And um, Anne-Marie Laversgrim, who was the uh, Team Secretary um, President, had copies of those emails and it bas- they basically um, they basically backtracked and said, well, we didn't give permission when there was email trail that said, yes, we did. And um, so I-, I think that's where... So then, therefore, it became a subject matter where they didn't have permission. Also, the graffiti people who... The people who graffitied the How Good Is Living message on there also didn't have permission. So it became sort of a, a little bit of a... Um, a war on the fact that neither had permission, even though Team Rainbow did get permission via email. And it just sort of uh, snowballed into the fact that a lot... Of, and then the local media was supporting the How Good Is Living message and, and the graffiti tag. So then the whole Team Rainbow message just was just erased. So And that was in affirmation of the Gold Coast, you know, Commonwealth Games Pride House. So... Um, you know, so that all got erased, and then local people were saying, well, we don't want a legacy to um, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. That's not a local issue for us, you know. So it was, um, yeah, it was quite, it was quite, as I said, what was a, a simple process became quite complex in nature. And very convoluted. It sounds like it got highly politicised if the local council was involved. Yes, they were. And, um, look, I was, I was one hour away from... Um, interviewing that local that local um, uh, councillor, Mark MacDonald, and he was told by council not to be interviewed by me. And then I sent them off a, a, a lot of questions. 
and they they basically um, didn't answer those questions at all. So I, I never really got a, a right a response. But in saying that, council down the track, they um, they put out a survey and the local people just wanted um, Rainbow Beach, Queensland put on the stairs. And that seemed to be a good, um, a good uh, you know, I suppose, solution. Um, and... You know, but I, for me, I wanted Team Rainbow recognised because they did the work. They they got the artists up from the Gold Coast to do it because none of the local artists would paint it. And um, I wanted the message out there that it was actually Team Rainbow who um, painted those stairs because I just felt their whole um, inclusive and loving message had been um, totally erased, and I just felt that was that was a little bit unfair. Three C Local, the local press were quite uh, on board at first, and um, and then you know it sort of all just turned, um, sort of on a dime, and then it um, it sort of changed, became a little bit um, divisive and a little bit um, I don't want to say nasty, but a little bit you know um, competing interests, I suppose. It sounds totally toxic. To what extent was this debate a hangover from the marriage equality debate, which, of course, was 2017, culminating in the vote? Well, it's interesting you say that because in my film, I've said, you know, like 55% of White Bay, which is that area, voted for marriage equality. So I think it probably is a hangover, and I think it's a pushback, and I think we're seeing that a lot in politics and a lot in... um, Globally and even locally, locally here in Australia, but also globally, and we even saw that with Donald Trump coming to power, and now you know, uh, and I think all that is pushback against you know people not wanting to accept LGBT um, and queer people, you know, and not not saying all people want to don't want to accept, but unfortunately we had to go through that because you're always going to get those type of people that don't think that we have equal rights. Um, so I think there's a little bit of pushback there, but I now think um, we're, we're starting to level out. And that's what's happened with council, because they put a survey out, and I think, you know, the survey was that they wanted Rainbow Beach Queensland on there. And, you know, so I, I think it's that sort of come full circle. So I think there was pushback definitely from the the uh, marriage equality. And even one uh, um, there was one fellow who I've documented in the film that said, burn that sissy flag, and he got local um, citizen of the year up there that year. So, which is quite interesting, and I've documented that in the film too, because um, that was on his um, Facebook page. To what extent does the Liberal National Party, the LNP, have their fingerprints on this issue, on this debate? Oh yeah, it was all there. Um, all there. Uh, pretty much, um, those people involved were pretty much um, LNP members and supporters. So, <laughs> I think their fingerprints are pretty much all over it. <laughs> So, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Um, as you can see in my film, there's a little bit of our sarcasm there and my sense of humour comes through in the film. So, um, you know, with the crickets I've got um, chirping and the disco music going. So I think, um, you know, if, I'm hoping it, it gets accepted into the Queer Film Festival. So, um, you know, I think people will enjoy it and like it. <laughs> I think yeah. a bit of pushback's really important with an issue like this and a bit of humour uh, because the Definitely. stakes sound pretty high in the local in the local community there. Uh, how did it affect the local queer community? It must have been pretty tough on them. Well, they're not very visible up there. I interviewed um, Z Parks, who's a non-binary person, and um, they were in charge of the Gimpy Rainbow Group up there. 
and they're not all that visible in the community. Um, and uh, I think uh, it actually, what happened, um, they actually thought that the How Good Is Living message and the Rainbow Stairs was part of an LGBT inclusive message. And then when they found out it, it was sort of hijacking, they were like really disappointed. But um, I think hopefully, I'm hoping the film brings some visibility that, that it's okay for people to be, um, you know, gay, um, lesbian, you know, bi or trans or, or queer or, or, you know, non-binary. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll trade off on that. But, um, yeah, I think they were just really disappointed when they found out that, that the How Good Living in How Good Is Living message actually wasn't, you know, a LGBT inclusive message. And, and that's another thing I, I sort of wanted to spend more time on the film and sort of go onto a bit of a tangent how it's also... It's also like um, feminine qualities are put down, you know, so it's almost like um, like gay men and trans women and that cannot survive in a place like that. So toxic masculinity was an underlying issue here? Well, pretty much, yeah, toxic masculinity, um, you know, and, and look, um, I, I did have, I have a longer cut and unfortunately I got sidetracked with the um, world rugby the world rugby band because I'm, as you know, I'm a former trans woman rugby player. Um, we won't go on to that, but got hijacked a little bit with that when that all came out when I was sort of finishing off. So I, I probably would like to do a follow up, but maybe not so much with the rainbow stairs, of course, to be mentioned, but more in regional areas and how um, femininity and how um, people still in this day and age have to know their place. So uh, uh, by those people's rhetoric, not by you know ours. And um, I'd like to sort of um, investigate that in, a, in another follow-up I'd like to do to this film. So um, I was hoping to include it in this one, but I, I sort of stuck to the stairs because I sort of ran out of time. But I'm really happy with what, what we came up with in the end anyway. But I, I just think um, as far as, you know, feminine qualities are put down and, you know, like, don't be a girl, don't be a sook, don't be, you know... And, and if, if someone's male, you know, then they've got to follow those rigid rules and um you know society plays out and and uh, you know i just like to see that that change over time so um and as a trans woman i was affected by that at, at an all-male boarding school you know and i had to, i had to hyper masculinize myself to survive and a lot of people have had to do that and then you sort of when you get to your middle age you, you sort of wonder well, what was that for <laughs> Absolutely. So how is this issue washed up in the local community? Uh, are those divisions still there? Has the community healed in some ways? Uh, how's the local queer community travelling after all of this? Where's it all at? Um, I think the local community, I mean, it's probably still divided. I was speaking to Dr. Daryl Gold, who, who features quite heavily in this um, documentary um, from Team Rainbow, and he sort of said they're, they've... It's, it's sort of becoming a more progressive place. So over time, that should happen. And, and look, they're only a couple of hours from Maroochydore, which is, 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 you know, becoming... Which is quite a progressive... Like, I suppose it's a regional city now and quite a big one. You know, it, it, it makes sense that eventually that a, a town like Rainbow Beach will become more progressive and more inclusive of people. Um, and the local... I think the local gay community, I know they're, they're very happy with it. Like, um, I know Z Parks, um, my, my non-binary friend who... who um, who set up or was who was um, running that that um that group that that um that queer group up there? Um, they're very happy we 
with um, and they were featured in the film. They were they were very happy with what they saw. So I, I think that's filtered back, and they're very happy that they've actually got a voice, and it's not just you know same old. So I think um, as far as here as far as healing with some of these local businesses, and you know there probably will be a division there for a while, but hopefully in time then they can um, unite and. You know, uh, I'm hoping down the track, you know, um, the vision and that disappears over time, you know, like as people become more... It's, it's basically key, education's key, as we know, and that, you know... Sorry, my dog is just barking in the background. He's being a bad sport. But um, I'm hoping that, you know, this... You know, it just they just become um, more united. And as I said, education's key. So if we can get education up there, and that's getting into schools and things like that. So I'd love to have your Victorian safe schools up there, and that could make a difference too. So, yeah. You're listening to an interview with documentary filmmaker and journalist Caroline Late on 3CRs in your face. You mentioned before that you're a former elite athlete, a former elite rugby player. Uh, you've also, of course, become a sports journalist focusing on gender diversity in trans sport. Uh, how is trans sport journalism received by the mainstream industry? What barriers have you faced, if any? Um, it's not great. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, look, I've actually, well, I've actually written for the Herald. That was great to get that, and that was about the trans woman rugby ban, and that was from my own personal perspective. So it was an opinion piece, and that's about the world rugby ban. But so I, I suppose there is an appetite there. So, but it's still hard to, um, for me to become a mainstream journalist is pretty hard, like um, as a trans woman. But as far as um, getting those pieces, I think um, I still like I'm writing for Jesse Jones's um, Pink Advocate. And I'm doing some contributing pieces there, which which are great. And um, but I still think we've probably got a fair way to go before we we get into the mainstream. But we've just got to keep on chipping away. So um, because you know I'd like to see um, trans you know trans children. You know they have role models and that the people have done it before, and we're not so much a race. So I'm hoping that down the track that it does improve. And, and that's another thing that's just going to take time. So it's it's. Not great, but it's getting better slowly as we get more visibility and people like myself. So if any trans people out there want to become journalists, I'd say do it because it's well worth um, the effort. And I think down the track, I'm hoping that one day we're just seen as normal people by um, people on the probably conservative side of um, politics. We've seen a, a real shift in sports policy around Australia about gender diversity. To what extent do you think sporting bodies have kind of, you know, pushed back against people's, like the Prime Minister's comments when Cricket Australia put their inclusion policy in? Oh, I think, um, well, the sporting bodies pushing back against um, uh, Morrison and his comments is fantastic because I think a lot of these sporting bodies see trans people as people and we're not um we're not the ideology that people people talk about trans rights and this and that and they talk, try, tend to talk about us as ideologies and things like that but we're actually people <laughs> first so i think the sporting pushback has been great against people like um morrison and people who have a similar mindset of um you know not including us so um i'm hoping that um down the track that you know Trans people can just play, and it's and it's not not a not a problem. So um, I hope that answers the second part of the question. Um, you know, and as for Morrison and that, hopefully um, he will 
you know, um, the pushback that those people give, hopefully, that all I can say is hopefully they educate themselves and one day come around and accept us as the people we are. Maybe do some research and understand that we're just normal people. You know, the garbage bin still has to go out at night and, you know, um, we still have to cook dinner and we just do the normal things that um, we that other people do. And being trans is just a very little small part of, of, of us as people, you know, like, and um, one day it'd be nice that it's just not an issue. So I hope that answers that question. Absolutely. Caroline Late, it's always a great pleasure chatting with you on 3CR. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, James. And since our interview with Caroline in November last year, her documentary Is This Queensland in the 20s has screened at festivals around the world and received multiple awards. do have Kirsty Miller on the line, joining us from Broken Hill. Kirsty, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, James. Great to be back. Last time we chatted off mic, you mentioned Martina Nath Redalova. Uh, now you've become a fan of hers. What's changed? Yeah, well, Martina and I had a bit of a fallout back um, when Rachel McKinnon won her first world title as a Masters Clean Cyclist for two years ago now, and, and, and Martina... You know, tweeted some pretty bad transphobic stuff and later apologised and retracted. And so I've never been a big fan of her and I've been very vocal in calling her out. But, um, yeah, some things have changed. Um, Martina's actually part of a, a women's sports policy working group that they've got in, a, in America. And um, this is a bipartisan group of former elite athletes and sports administrators. And they've got, like, massive experience in... Um, in women's sports policy and also making, um, doing LGBT advocacy and that type of stuff. So, yeah, you've got Martina's one of six cisgender women in sport legends um, that, that started this group. So when, when it was announced, I was still not really a, a big fan of Martina because I heard her name and I I suddenly assumed that she wanted to exclude and, and not include. But in actual fact, I've looked at this group now and, and I've become a, signed on as a supporter of this group that they're actually trying to bridge the gap between the full-on exclusion with no no restrictions and the and, and the full-on exclusion and and these aren't a a, a group that um a GLBTI advocates they're a policy group so they've been formed to help as a bipartisan group to try and help um get the equality act passed through in in America there because at the moment, over in America, they're facing like 23 vicious bills to exclude, not just from sport, but trans people from life pretty much in America. And and this group is trying to come up with a fair way that's going to get this through the Senate. And we get it through the Senate, Biden's definitely going to pass it. So, you know, I decided to have a look critically at what this group were doing. And I first looked at their website and I wasn't too happy with some of the language, but I thought, hang on here, we've got more in common than against. And I'm sort of sick of this fighting. And, and a lot of the fighting is one-dimensional on Twitter, so it's not really fighting. It's we, We're all passionate people in this, and 
we've got a lot of ex-world champions and Wimbledon champions, and you don't become a world champion in anything unless you're passionate. So, it's, you know, and it's time to come together. So I, I looked into it even more, and I got to meet the, the amazing founder of, of this group, um, Nancy hoggard McCarr. Nancy was a triple gold medalist in the 84 games um, in, in Los Angeles, a swimmer, and, and, and won a silver and competed a couple of games and sports hall of famer in international and USA and and you know other people like um um Dono Lampino, um um Dono Divano, um Doreen Coleman, who, all these people have been heavily involved in like global sports development and that, right? So they're they're trying to bring we've got one group that's demanding full inclusion, one you know full exclusion. We're trying to come together and I've joined as a supporter with another couple of trans women in sports, some legends like Renee Richards, um, Joanna Harper, um, who I haven't always thought I disagreed with, but I'm changing my tune on that too now. She's sort of all evolving along the way, Jane. And also Juniper Eastwood, a young NCAA trans athlete, and myself. So, you know, I see this as a, a really good way of... Because in America, they've got about 17 states that have inclusion with some mitigating... Um, policy, like you've got to be on hormones. They have some states that have absolutely you can play and, and, and whatever happens, happens. And and then the other third, there's nothing. So we need to stop this ad hoc approach and we need um, this to be medically and scientifically based, James. And that's what this group is doing and this is what I've always advocated. So look, I don't agree with everything written on their website. Um, I, now, I know that now I'm involved in stuff as well. Like, it's going to evolve, but the core thing is what they're recommending and the policy that they've come up with, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's pretty much... It's going to give a pathway for junior kids in sports. So pretty much in school sports and junior sports over there, like primary and high school, it's going to give the kids up until puberty, the, the male-to-female trans girl, um, they'll, they'll compete in the girls' category, if they're a girl or the boys, if they're a boy, once they go through the, the puberty, and well, it'll more than mirror along the lines of an NCAA or a or a um, OIC policy, where it'll be full inclusion if you mitigate. It'll be partial inclusion, similar to what we have now, but it'll give a pathway for because not everyone in junior sport is going to go to elite, but some do, and it's got to be a pathway. So if these kids aren't meeting policies. Because, you know, there's Olympians at 14, 15, 16 years of age. They need a pathway to go to that next level, James. So, you know, I think I've got more in common with Martina than not. Um, and, and I always respect her for who she is. Um, and even others on the panel, I haven't always agreed, but I'm sick of the fighting. I'm sick of the bickering. And I want solutions instead of, you know, fighting in court. Let's sit down and this is women working together, not gay groups or not, not legal groups. This is women talking together, women in sport, like some legends, trans and cisgender in there. Like, I'm just honoured to, to be, you know, speaking to these people. Kirsty, you do a lot of activism on the issue of testosterone, uh, especially on social media. What can you tell us about that issue? What news have you got? Oh, on a personal note, <laughs> I'm now, as I've said before on here, I'm, I'm 21 years into my transition and, about 15 years surgically transitioned and my body started breaking down 
about 2013 from the effects of complete androgen deprivation. So my body hasn't produced or had testosterone for 21 years. And sports policy at the moment doesn't allow me to have supplementation to and then continue on in sport, even though it doesn't um, make me a better athlete. But So I've had to remove myself from sport and it's taken me two years to to educate doctors, to finally find a doctor that, that could remotely understand what I was saying. Um, um, I had doctors out here that... I even did a PowerPoint presentation, James, and presented it to a doctor to show that I'm actually XY, not XX, and I don't need estrogen or, or pap smears. I need testosterone like boys do because my bones are breaking. Um, I've got minus 3.2 osteoporosis, James. I've got a lung disease, um, complete muscle atrophy. So many, many health complications. And one of them is a very low sex drive um, and, and mental wellness and all that type of stuff. But yes, I got my first injection about eight weeks ago. Um, and that was a funny experience in itself. I took my partner, Nikki, there. He's got the short black hair and she's a real tom girl and, and Kirstie's the blonde hair. But I've got these two poor nurses and I'm not sure if they've ever met a trans girl or, or whatever before. But they were confused because most girls like me normally don't have this medication or not that they were aware of. And they didn't know if I was a boy turning into a girl or a girl turning into a boy. And I didn't care. They were just beautiful nurses anyway. But it was just a funny moment. But I got this shot of testosterone. So it was the first time in my life I'd put something back in that I'd been taking out for 21 years. And within about five minutes, I went outside and I saw a telegraph pole, Jane. It was the best-looking telegraph pole I've ever seen in my life. Like, everything was beautiful. Um, I just had this immediate feeling of well-being, and, and that well-being lasted for about four weeks, and that was, like, the number one thing that I noticed with my first um, injection. And I also noticed a little bit of an increase in, in, in my energy levels. Um, I noticed that I stopped losing weight, um, and my lungs weren't filling up full of um, fluids. So, you know... The, the good-looking telegraph poles is a bit of a bonus, James, you know, but it just goes to show you that this thing's got to be balanced in the hormones. Like, sport has damaged my health without a doubt, and sport has known about my health um, here in Australia for about seven years, and I've been begging to get this addressed. So this group in America that, that uh, are doing this work, working um, women's sports group, they want the medical and the scientific evidence in this, and this will all become part of it, our endocrine health. So, you know, I'm cheering what's going on over there and, and myself, yeah, like it's amazing. But we've just had some more research, James, come out um, in, in the last few days. And it might show us clearer now that testosterone isn't the big determination of who's a good athlete and who isn't. Joanna Harper piloted a systematic review um, through the Lowborough University in, in England with some other scholars, and they looked at the effects of haemoglobin levels on trans women that are taking androgen blockers and taking estrogen. And um, what they found was that within three to four months, um, the trans girls' haemoglobin levels are actually reducing down to female levels. Now, this mightn't sound much, but it's huge, James. This is massive, okay? Because what this does is by reducing the levels to female levels, number one, it gives us a scientific reading. It's a, like we can give an exact reading of where and when they are in their transition. And what it does is low hemoglobin 
it it affects all endurance. It is, in fact, any sport we've been active more than say about two minutes. You hit the hemoglobin in, in your blood. It's important because it takes it takes up all the oxygen. That um, it, it reduces the oxygen in your blood, so it can't get it out to the muscles, James. So, like when you get that feeling of lactic acid, when you if you've ever been an athlete, this happens massively quick with girls like us. So, this this is um, shown now that this is the, the biggest determination in endurance sports. So it's really great to have this this um, evidence come out in the last week. So that's going to be a comparable measurable that we're going to be able to use for, for these current and in future trans policy developments. So it's really exciting stuff. And, and what, it, what it does show as well is it does link the T levels to this, like without any doubt, which we already know healthy T levels relates to healthy bones and healthy T levels relates to to um, like 200 functions in our bodies, James. So everything. So it's great the evidence is coming out. I'm really excited for it. Kirsty, you're a passionate supporter of athlete Casta Semenya. What can you tell us about uh, the ban that's effectively been put on her uh, and the campaign to have it overturned? Where's all that at? Well, Casta lost her, her um, appeal at CAS and then she lost it in the Swiss Tribunal. And now she's appealed to the European Court of Human Rights. And I believe she's got a really good chance of winning this case. But it's probably not going to be a verbal hearing. It's probably just going to be written evidence. And I believe Castor's legal team submitted the evidence only this week, their, their, their brief on it. And they're hoping that it, a decision's made before the Olympics this year. I I really, really can't see that happening, James. I can see this going after the Olympics, but I believe Caster's moved away from the people that she was there the first time with, and she's actually looking at the stuff that we've spoken about before, that, that this is more about health, not performance. And the thing is, with this, James, and I know that she's going to be able to prove this in, in, in the courts, is they've made this determination that testosterone is the greatest determination of performance in women's sport. Um, Seb Coe has said this, and this is where the policy came from, from what Seb Coe said. Well, the thing is, James, only girls like Caster are the only girls that are made to reduce their testosterone at the higher. And we know over 10% of women have high testosterone, XX women, and 10% of women in Britain, blonde-headed women, have high testosterone with XX chromosomes even though Sebastian Coe said testosterone is the greatest determination of female athletic performance, these XX girls, like I said, over 10% with high T. And to add to that, people always bag Caster for having, they say she's got internal testes and girls have ovaries. If Caster had ovaries, she would be massively, uh, she'd be unbeatable because ovaries, are actually 10 times more sensitive to testosterone than what XY um, androgen receptors are. So these blonde-headed girls from Britain, said Coe's home country, with high testosterone, with XX chromosomes that are 10 times more sensitive to testosterone than castor, they're not even included in, in, in the policy. And above and beyond that, we've got the World Medical Association. The World Medical Association have strongly condemned this 
a myriad of times from day one. And any doctor they say that that enforces this medication, they're breaching their code of conduct as, as a doctor. And the UN strongly supports. So I really believe CAST is going to win this and it's going to be a massive change and women's health needs will start to get addressed in sport like men, men do and always have. On the world rugby ban front, are banning trans women players any chance of it being overturned? Probably not in the short term, but yeah, I, I definitely see that as overturning. Um, particularly yesterday, we had the International Rugby League come out and said that they're actually in the process of developing their policy and they're looking for exclusion, you know, for inclusion. They're going against world rugby. Um, there's no other group in the whole world other than these these religious mob over in, in, in the UK and in America and in Australia that are trying to just ban people from society, which World Rugby has also done. So, And some of these people in that World Rugby group have got ties to these religious mobs over in America. So it will be overturned. It will be overturned by sponsorship. It will be overturned in court. Or, like, you know, Australian rugby told to go to buggery. They haven't banned us. England hasn't banned trans girls. New Zealand hasn't, um, and, and USA, Canada. So effectively, no trans girls been banned yet because we've never had an elite rugby union player except for Carolyn Mate, and she would have played for Australia, and and then she she was due to be selected, but her trans status came out and she was vilified from the game pretty much. So you know, um, it, it will be overturned, game. Like Kirsty won't stop until it is. I guarantee it. Kirsty Miller, it is always wonderful to chat with you on 3CR. I love your passion. We're so lucky to have you fighting for trans inclusion in sport. Thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Thank you, James. Let's just say one thing. Boys, girls, non-binary people, go out and get your androgen levels checked. If you've got low T, go and get a check because it makes the world a difference in true health. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Kirsty. Keep up the great work. We love you so much. Thank you. Love you. Bye. 'd like to thank Thorn Harbor Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbor Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbor Health on your search engine or Facebook.